2: Good morning and welcome to another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. This is Bennett Kelly. We're broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica in the heart of Silicon Beach. Please be seated. we got another great show for you today. Our guest today is Alvin Felsenberg, and he is the author of A Man in His Presidents, The Political Odyssey of William F. Buckley and it has a um cover has a photo of him and uh, of governor reagan and um the two actually are very much intertwined uh and um but we'll get that in a minute um mr felsenberg are you with us
3: uh, yes uh i'm right here bennett delighted to be with you
2: and um this book you said was some somehow it was like seven years in the making um, yes. what, what led you to, um, decide to write this book?
3: Well, I was teaching a class at the university of Pennsylvania Edinburgh school for communication. And, um, uh, I had just gotten back to teach work at the nine 11 commission where I was. And I started, uh, the very week that he passed away, I thought I would ask my students what they knew about him. Well, they all heard of him. That made me very happy and knew about him very little so i said how can that be and they said well when he passed away uh remember firing line this is this is 2008 firing line had been off the air over 10 years so the oldest one would have been about 12. (laughs) so i understand why they didn't remember much but they said that uh, they were pounded with email blasts that uh, this man had died and he got the kind of coverage that only ex-presidents, and rock stars gap. And I said, well, a cross between an ex-president and a rock star uh, sounds like Bell Buckley to me.
2: It it kind of was, yeah.
3: (laughs) I thought it would be fun bringing him back to them. Because I don't remember a time where uh, public discourse on television reached such an elevated plane. I don't know too many people who have spontaneous wit without ghostwriters and all of that. And I thought that uh, there was a lesson in his story. That's why I read it.
2: So when people ask you today who are unfamiliar with Bill Buckley or William Buckley, um, what do you say?
3: I say many things that he was certainly the founder of the uh, post-World War II conservative movement. As we know it, we can talk about that. He spent the better part of a half century bringing that movement, I would say the fringe of the American uh, political perspective right uh, to the center, where it became one of two competing political philosophies. But more than that, uh, as a communicator par excellence, he occupied every forum that was available to him in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and 90s, uh, before uh, Facebook and before Twitter and before all the modern gadgets and, and avenues we have. He dominated print. He was the first uh, uh, modern day conservative syndicated columnist uh, for 33 years. He had a long running show on PBS. Which is how most people knew him called Firing uh, Line. He wrote fiction, novels. Uh, he went on, he went on, what do you had a, TV, a comic show for a while. He went on Roland and Martin's Laughing. Uh,
2: it's like uh,
3: Johnny Carson, you name it. And my favorite is. We're talking to a, 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 a studio based in California, uh, and your listeners might appreciate that he's the only journalist I know uh, who managed to make a Disney movie animated for uh, William F. Buckley appears in Aladdin in an animation narrated by Robin Williams. So uh, when he would go to airports, he would get autograph seekers very much like a rock star or an ex-president, so I thought it's a good comparison.
2: It's interesting. We, you, you didn't say, read my book. <laughs>
3: uh, well, uh, the book is called, Thank You, A, A Man and His Presidents, uh, The Political Odyssey of uh, William F. Buckley, Jr. Uh, no, I
2: was just,
3: Yale University is my publisher. I was,
2: just, I was just joking when I said when people ask you who, you know. Yeah. Who who was Buckley? You should first say, well, first read my book. But any event, um. well, thank you, thank you, Bennett. I'm going to take
3: you on my tour. I have to do several stops in California. So there we bring, go. Bring you along.
2: There we go. So, you know, it's interesting, you know, hearing your discussion and you know, your description of you know, How would you describe him? And uh, I here's a quote uh, I saw from a National Review article. After his death, uh, from the uh, called the irreplaceable William F. Buckley. And it makes an important point. It says um, it's important to remember that when National View was founded, Buckley was the leader of a fringe movement. He made conservatism respectable again after the Great Depression and Second World War had delegitimized it. His prominence was due not only to his energy, diligence, and charisma, but also to his novelty and his impudence. I wanted to hear what he had to say because no one else was saying it. In the world of I Like Ike, the new frontier and great society, no similarly situated member of New York elite held this then outlandish view of the role of government, academic freedom, the place of religion in public life in confrontation with the Soviet Empire. His courage shifted the intellectual and political landscape. So, yeah, I mean, is this... Yes. Let, let's start, I guess... With his emergence in the, the post war era, because That's World War true. II for Buckley, and but not necessarily for all conservatives, kind of changed the landscape of their political viewpoint.
3: Well, when Buckley was born, remember, 1925, Calvin Coolidge was in the White House. Uh, governments were small, government, federal government had a very small role. Uh, we had come out of World War I, uh, disillusioned from uh, foreign adventures. And uh, uh, the country was pretty much at peace. Uh, people's heroes were in the private sector, Henry Ford and Thomas Edison and others I could know it, name. And uh, in his lifetime, two calamities occurred that put an end to everything I just described. Uh, obviously, the Great Depression and the coming of the New Deal, which uh, greatly strengthened the role the federal government played in economic affairs of the country and in, and in public affairs. And, of course, World War II, where at this time, sadly, we were unable to bring all the soldiers home permanently. Uh, a cold right. war started very, very soon. Uh, the nation was always in perpetual conflict with the Soviet Union. Uh, both of those were you know, tremendous uh, leaps forward for big government. Uh, Buckley was the only one, at, well, the most visible one, I'll say, and the most energetic one, rowing in another direction, yes. Uh, opposite of the new frontier and the great society. It's certainly opposite, uh, like I like Ike. Although he said that he he really did not originate a great number of political ideas. What he's trying to do is bring back into both uh, certain principles that had been long forgotten uh, in the intervening decades that I just described. And they were um, decentralized government, limited government, uh, checks and balances, respect for separation of powers and the constitutions uh, the constitution put on presidential war-making and other things. And a um, great respect for the Judeo-Christian uh, tradition, which he said inspired the, the uh, founding fathers and made us who we are. Um, he had complete contempt for what he called um, moral equivalency, that basically all ideas are equal and have equal value and there's no eternal truth. The real bucky were eternal truths, and there were some things you don't give on. And uh, I described some of those things. I can describe some more. But yeah, he was in many ways classified by himself.
2: When and that. the, so that's the that's one thing he's credited with is kind of um, this fusion of basically you know, laissez faire economics and you know anti communism plus a certain you know, traditional values uh, approach to conservatism that I, I'm assuming was partly Catholicism.
3: Partly driven by his Catholicism, partly driven by his love of history. And uh, the re- go ahead. You
2: know, got, no, you. Um, well, there seems to be there's a turning point for the GOP, and it comes with uh, you know, when Eisenhower is running for president, and that uh, yeah. you know you have the a chance at um, you know regaining the White House after losing five yeah. straight elections, and yeah. um, you know the issue is you know Eisenhower. You know, I've heard you talk about this. Is you know Eisenhower was willing to support Taft as long as Taft supported NATO, and and yeah. Taft wouldn't, and and so that thrust him into the ring, and. Yeah. Um, but he was not, you know, a traditional conservative ruler. And and so um, had, had Taft merely supported NATO, you know, that would have been something that Buckley would have been fine with. But instead, you know, I think the, the emergence of you know, Ikeism, for lack of a better term, seemed <laughs> to put, push him into, you know, launching uh, National Review. Uh.
3: Yes, in some ways, Ike was the uh, the silent founder of National Review. Uh, <laughs> Buckley <laughs> uh, Buckley had no small no small uh, ambition. Uh, after he took on Yale University, which we can talk about later, political correctness, as your listeners might know it, blue uh, sashons in New Haven, by the way, it's still going on. But nevertheless, uh, he said he had no he would settle for nothing less than reading Dwight Eisenhower. Uh, out of the uh, Republican Party and out of the conservative movement. Well, that's one tall order uh, going against the man who, who uh, put together the largest military armada in the history of the world. Right. Well, remember, there were some parallels here. For 20 years, uh, Republicans in congressional and presidential elections talked about repealing the New Deal. Right. And uh, repealing, Gee, uh, cutting familiar. back on entitlements, <laughs> balancing the budgets. Yes. And, yeah. and finally, finally, uh, they of the president and both houses of Congress. And Ike makes it very clear that that's not going to happen. Uh, Ike was of the view that that uh, uh, governments cannot proceed faster than their constituencies would allow. And that would have been so great a shock to the American system that that would um, never be heard of again. And the um, uh, conservatives would get the worst thing possible. They would get another Activist Democratic president who would take the New Deal farther, with the uh, uh, strong anti-communist foreign policy that uh, Ike used to keep the peace with the Soviets. Uh, Buckley was of a different view, and uh, he probably could have tolerated uh, a Democrat continuing to do damage as long as the right was united. But here was another man, uh, probably the most famous and most admired man on the world, Dwight David Eisenhower calling himself a conservative because of his anti-communist views, because of his strong military background, and because of a penchant for balancing the budget. I mean, Ike was perfectly willing to uh, slow down the increase of spending, but he was not willing to unearth major people had grown accustomed to. That started a major war. uh, All by little old self, Bill Buckley started the last civil war in the Republican Party. The idea was to create a conservative party. Uh, with all liberals on one side and all conservatives on another. We call it realignment of the two parties. So our politics would be neat, meet her, uh, and uh, we could hold people accountable. Well, I was just rem- reminiscing about the time FDR thought he could do the same thing. that they didn't want yeah. the Southern Democrats slowing down the New Deal, and he was going to purge them all. And of course, Mr. Bannon talks about that today, a former advisor of President Trump, Uh, wants to um, primary number of senators who aren't helping the administration. Well, uh, FDR didn't succeed, but Buckley did succeed. And California helped him succeed. We had a major showdown in the California primary in 1964 between Nelson Rockefeller, who was the perceived establishment candidate, Eastern, uh, pro-New Deal, uh, pro-big government programs, and Barry Goldwater, who very much uh, in spite of his anti-communism on many things, was very much a libertarian, perhaps the most libertarian candidate who ever ran. Uh, he called Ike's administration a dime steal, in other words, for getting the same progress. I, I would have loved that, by the way. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and Goldwater won the California primary by a very narrow margin. And everybody thought that his nomination uh, would be a, uh, a fluke that uh, after he was defeated by Johnson in an overwhelming landslide, the largest up to that point in American history, that normalcy will be will prevail and the two parties will continue to go along, Tweedledum and tweedle D. Well, didn't happen. Uh, you had a major realignment uh, of uh, the the two parties. The South, which had been long the Democratic Party's base, became Republican, where it is to this day. Northeast, which had been rock ribbed. Republican turned Democratic, and uh, was still very much, until the election of Trump, and even after, uh, still living in that world. So I would say that after Ike, you did get Buckley Street, and all that agitation let let uh, conservatives actually organize. Remember Goldwater's great speech in uh, 1960, when the right tried to draft him, Instead, the party went to Nixon was, you know, grow up conservatives, I mean, go to work uh try to take the party over run for local office do this kind of things which um some uh, democrats from hillary on clinton down are urging young progressives to do so and, it kind of tells me we've been here before
2: and in in taking over um he obviously it was not one to be shy in his opinions um, he no. called. He called uh, Eisenhower a man who was undaunted by principle, unchained by any yeah. co- coherent ideas as to the nature of man <laughs> and society. Um, yeah,
3: that's pretty. Yeah, no Democrat ever said that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and 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 that's someone who's yeah technically on the same side of him politically, but um, yes. but he. he but actually, some of his you know fiercest comments were towards fellow members of the um or non democrats I should say you know to other uh, yes. libertarians and yes. other people yes. conservative um viewpoints and and yes. early on, one of the first he takes on
3: yes, uh, let me take some of these one by one Buckley said that. He wanted his legacy to be that he he cleansed the conservative movement, kooks, racists, anti-Semites. Uh,
2: let me just say the Ike category with Randi
3: <laughs> Well, uh, uh, he would have thought of kook. I'll tell you. Why OK, but y- your comment about Ike, uh, those were um, Buckley really thought that of Ike. I mean, he took Ike at face value. And and uh, there was a great deal going on in the Eisenhower presidency that he missed and many other people missed that we can come back to. But uh, he wasn't attacking Ike's character. He was attacking Ike's uh, lack of conservatism and his inability right. to uh, give articulate speeches, which was one of Ike's defects. Buckley worshipped uh, the English language. In terms of speechifying, a, a word that a Johnson loved to use, uh, Buckley's model was of Adler Stevenson. In terms of politics, his model was staff. But let's talk about Ayn Rand. Uh, Buckley considered himself a libertarian. Uh, because we are supposed to uh, keep our assets, as many as we can, uh, to redeem society, to help society, uh, to give back, uh, to right. give to hospitals, to give to schools, to give to art museums. Uh, God uh, created man in his image, Buckley said. And... Uh, Allowing him allowing him to perfect his talent, whether he be a da Vinci or an Einstein or a Mozart. And that enriches us all. And uh, without God, without obe- obeying the commandments, and uh, uh, libert- libertarianism, in his view, became libertinism and hedonism. Mm. That's why I said he would have. Uh, and uh, he wrote a book called The Art of Selfishness, which the whole title and the whole concept appalled him. Uh, but when Buckley wanted to nuke somebody, you know, he didn't just do it the way we do it today. He didn't write a negative review about the Shrugged. Um, he didn't go on TV and just say, I don't like the book, which he did do too. He commissioned Whitaker Chambers, probably, uh, at that time, the most known anti-communist, uh, Whitaker Chambers exposed, uh, the treachery of Alger Hiss, uh, at the state department. Hiss was, um, considered a likely Secretary of State or Secretary General of the United Nations, and he was accused by Whitaker Chambers of having been a Soviet agent all the time that he was advising Frank and Roosevelt on foreign politics. So Whitaker Chambers was the most revered and known anti, anti-communist of the era. He commissioned Chambers to do a cover story for National Review attacking Rand. The cover was uh, replace the um, golden calf of biblical days with the dollar sign, and all these people are bowing down to it. And this was, in, he, in his view, where Randianism would take it. In the article, it suggested that uh, her runaway capitalism with no constraints, that her division of the world between um, uh, uh, users and takers and creators, or makers and takers, those kinds of words, and that half the population were uh, drags on the rest of it, uh, was nothing more than a rekindled fascism. I'm quoting Chambers, not me now. Um, and her atheism is what bothered Buckley the most. I mean, the idea was we gifts and our fruits of our labor to create, to, to glory, uh, God, to improve society. Uh, and we can do a better job than bureaucrats can. Uh, it's not here just to have great fun for ourselves and forget about posterity and the rest and community. Being a Catholic, he's also very communitarian. He tithes, as the Bible says, and naturally, the more money you can keep, the more money you can tithe. And uh, again, decisions can be made closer to home and by people, not by governments. So that that was his rift with Rand. Yes, he was the first one on the right. She was the first one on the right that he took on.
2: Do you believe Rand still has a strong hold on libertarian thought today?
3: absolutely um our current speaker of the house paul ryan uh ran for vice president on uh, mitt romney's ticket uh he said that ayn rand had a greater influence on him than any other writer that he'd read growing up uh he considers himself very much a randian but not an atheist but he is in that camp
2: I mean, but ryan's uh, also a catholic have,
3: he's well yes uh uh he is also a catholic and uh uh Perhaps he has, would share some of Buckley's uh, criticisms of Rand on those grounds, uh, but he has said on economics anyway um, that he uh, found her a great influence. Um, Alan, Alan Greenspan, uh, the former chairman of the Federal Reserve and a genius economist, uh, uh, was a follower of Rand um, growing up. Uh, I suspect we have many members of the Republican Congress Right. Um, maybe some of them know, uh, consider themselves libertarian and have read her books. Others have absorbed it. I'm talking about the Freedom Caucus now, which are Republicans who uh, tend to vote against any uh, budget or any compromise deal you know, on anything. And nothing's perfect. Uh, some of them would quote Rand. Some of them maybe uh, picked her ideas up from others. So, yes, um, libertarianism is very popular with young people. Uh, Reason Magazine seems to be doing all right. They have some of the brighter columnists uh, competing. You have the Cato Institute. Yes. And when you're on one the Cato Institute, uh, and I mean this uh, with no uh, no um, uh, ill intent, uh, Memorial, except instead of having quotes from Abraham Lincoln, uh, they have quotes from Rand embossed on the wall. I don't know if it's Marvel or not, but uh, yes, they are a very successful and a prosperous Washington think tank. So yes, her ideas live. Uh, but Buckley always said he was libertarian. He just couldn't abide the atheism, which creates selfishness and the lack of the time with uh, with God and reflecting our our gifts as God intended us to use them and develop them. Yes, but he, economically, the less government did the better. He thought.
2: Well, we need to take a, a moment of reflection for our sponsors, <laughs> and, and so we'll we'll be kind of merging both Buckley and Rand, um, but we'll be back after I, I, these yeah, messages. That, that, you're you're that listening to, to Cyber Law and <laughs> Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm.
1: Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors.
0: visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E-Digital.com.
1: the best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on Webmaster webmasterradio.fm.
2: And we're back, and we're talking to Alvin Felsenberg, author of A Man and His Presidents. And um, Mr. Felsenberg, as he mentioned earlier on, had served as a spokesman for the 9-11 Commission. He's also served in the presidential administrations as advisors to both the state and defense department and uh, you were the spokesman or are you still the spokesman for the joint economic committee
3: no i uh, i left uh, at the end of 2015
2: okay and um and which administrations were you in the state and defense department
3: uh, george uh herbert walker bush and um george bush the younger and uh i uh I was a great fan of Ronald Reagan. In the Ronald Reagan days, I was working in state government with uh, Thomas Kane, governor of New Jersey, as assistant secretary of state. But I was always a great fan of Ronald Reagan.
2: And Thomas Kane, who I, I most most people won't remember, but he had the, uh, the, the to counter the I Love New York campaign. I remember they had the New Jersey Got campaign with his unique accent. He and Yule perfect together, and uh, I can't really mimic it. But it was he did have his own unique accent. But you know, um, he's a
3: marvelous man. He, he went on firing line a few times, and uh, he was one of New Jersey's great governors. And uh, Buckley wrote a great column about him. Tom was one of the first to say that uh, schools uh, should be regarded as uh, something that, uh, uh, let's say, a commodity or a service we provide parents and children, uh, not holding bins for children who are sentenced to go to schools where they were born or where they live. And if uh, the government can force Southern governors out of uh, school doorhouses uh, uh, to let people in, uh, then governors can make sure that the standards are improved and they meet them in the state. And um, Buckley t- said so that was the first act that might eventually lead to school choice, choice. It was the first governor he knew that actually said what's going on is not going to be accepted. So uh, he was a marvelous governor.
2: And anyways. you you mentioned the issue of, you know, governors and schoolhouse doors. And and that yep. that's an important point um, in Buckley's career. Um, yes. You know, he famously, a uh, column in the 50s, Why the South Must Prevail, and, um, but over time, you it know, becomes to become re- repelled by, you know, the, the, oh, yes. the Southern obstructionists of, you know, George Wallace in particular. And, and, and then as you, you write, um, because of the, he was really torn, um, after this, the 16th street Baptist church bombings, which you know, now actually is, is, um, Becoming part of the, the political parlance because the, the man who prosecuted just recently, who prosecuted the people who did that bombing, um, is running for Senate in Alabama against uh, Judge Roy Moore. So, um, right. the very you know, topical issue in, in, in an odd okay. sense. Um, but explain well, Buckley's evolution um, and why the South must prevail to um, being anti-George Wallace
3: there's no question those articles are very hard to take uh even in the 50s uh he went farther than most of us who think we're conservatives went uh he didn't have to so why did he write he wrote it he also said the south pressed the veil because the white race was the more developed race and until that changes uh, uh they should be in control for perpetuity of their society well uh, Buckley, on both sides of his family, was uh, the son of uh, Bourbon, I call them Bourbon Democrats. They were the genteel, noblesse oblige, uh, inheritors of the planter class, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew some of them in our time. Even Southern liberals uh, tended to be uh, segregationists. Remember uh, uh, Sam Irvin, uh, uh, the Watergate committee favorite, just got lawyer. Well, he, he agreed that presidents who misbehave should be disciplined, but he also was the author of the Southern Manif- Manifesto, which, uh, Southerners promised a pledge, took a pledge to repeal the Brown decision by all legal means. So that was Vermin. uh, Senator Fulbright who was known foreign affairs committee, chairman of the Senate, uh, as a sage on Vietnam,
2: uh,
3: and but also
2: also the arrogance the of power. Cabinet, yeah.
3: Arrogance of Power, that's right. A uh, Crippled Giant, in several of these books. But John Kennedy couldn't, um, couldn't make him Secretary of State because he knew there'd be a fight with the NAACP, and he thought the first Catholic president should not start off uh, with that kind of a controversy. Well, so that, that's where Buckley came from. But over time, uh, that class of Southern politician, Ed Richard Russell, they started losing power uh, to groups that Buckley called um, uh, welfare populists. Now, these were people that uh, attacked the other cl- other rulers for not being tougher on blacks, uh, and uh, they race-baited in what we call the Democratic primaries. And one by one, these populists took over. Now, these populists, may have not wanted to allow Blacks to go to the same schools as whites and, and, and all the rest of that, but they had no problem taking federal money and everything else. And when Buckley had Wallace on the show, he called him a fraud. He said, you know, Lyndon Johnson is paying for 60% of your budget, your highways, your roads, and even your segregated schools, which you won't let people attend if they're not right. white. And he said, uh, I don't want those programs. He said, Buckley's still a libertarian but I don't want any racial tests over who they benefit. Well, uh, but the change came earlier, as you say, and a lot of that is Catholic, uh, uh tradition. There's no question about that. Uh, the fact that these four girls, um, uh, in, in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, were killed on a Sunday morning, wearing their Sunday best, uh, praying and attending Sunday service and Sunday school. Uh, and this is all a week after the march on Washington, which many, many of us still see to the Civil Rights Movement. But a week after that, after that miraculous speech gave and after some discernible change in public attitude, uh, we had this bombing. And uh, he held Wallace personally responsible for that, wrote a piece on it, and said uh, he surely, his rhetoric certainly uh, unearthed the beast that... Uh, did this kind of steed, and uh, he doesn't quite say that he wants the federal government war of civil rights, but he stops defending the old order. And he kind of says that unless the South changes on its own, uh, they're going to bring about or invite the the worst solution uh, possible, which they thought was uh, federal intervention. So his columns begin to read less as criticisms of Johnson and others who wanted to intervene, but uh, lectures to the South that if you don't change, uh, uh, I'm gonna get out of the way, and the right should get out of the way, and nature will take its course. By the time he went to mayor of New York in 1965, uh, Buckley is the first conservative I know, maybe the only one, who came out for affirmative action. He said, listen, white-controlled institutions have kept uh, African Americans in in a, uh, in a in a dire situation by intent, by law, by society, and those white institutions are going to have to take a more active role in bringing them up to equality to equal standards. Almost the opposite view that he had when he wrote it. So uh, it took a long time, and. Uh, he uh, still believed in market-based solutions and, you know, community power. You know, answers to questions. I slipped here and said community power. I say that because during the Nixon years, uh, Buckley was one of about 25 white journalists sent on a tour of urban America. And they visited Watts. They visited um, uh, Chicago, uh, Detroit, uh, Cleveland, Washington, and uh, he met with several young. Uh, black, they called them at the time, black Miltons, uh, followers of Stokely Carmichael. Mm -hmm. And he said, I don't understand why why they're they're criticized so much. They sound like the young me. Uh, They don't like federal (laughs) intervention. They don't like bureaucracy. Uh, They want community control of the schools. Uh, They're pointing out certain corruption in the police departments. And he said, you know, they sound like the young me. What do they hate? Federal intervention. What do they hate? One size meets all. What do they criticize? Insensitive bureaucracies don't know their neighborhoods and their streets and their children. And he said, But for the accident of birth and circumstance, I could have been they and they could be me. That really opened his eyes. And by by the early mid 70s, he writes a piece for Look magazine saying that. um, it wouldn't be surprised if the United States elected a black president by 1980. Now, he hmm. might have been a generation earlier here. But uh, the kind of person he described, uh, he said, would come out of those community organizations. So when I slipped and said community organizing, uh, Buckley kind of a person would become president. And, of course, he yeah, may he or may not have had he lived. But Obama certainly did. He certainly met that criteria, even if yeah, the like- two men would have had differences in, on on economic
2: policy. Neither Buckley nor Look Magazine (laughs) lived to see that. That's right. That's right. I miss Look Magazine. So in 1960s, uh, so let's go back. In the 50s, he he launches National Review and quickly becomes an important um, source of conservative thought. And then in the 1960s, he begins firing line on PBS, which is you know there's a certain irony there since PBS is a great society program. Yes, um, yes. But here, but here he is, you know, using it to continue uh, his you know his. Promoting his, his his agenda, although he you know it, it wasn't a strictly a conservative show, since he you know frequently right. had you know um, those with other views, and 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 in fact enjoyed that very much.
3: Yes, uh, one of his critics said that William F. Buckley Jr. would rather argue than eat. <laughs> for the chance of having a, a debate, a debate show, uh, but he was pretty shrewd. And the idea of the show was. This should be one place conservatives and liberals come together. And uh, I want the liberals uh, to watch me, but the, uh, uh, the hook is if they want to hear John Kenneth Galbraith for a half hour, they have to listen to me for a half hour. Those are the dues you have to pay. And uh, my people uh, would only watch me if I just had my own show. And I don't want that. I want uh, our people to, to hear their views, challenged and criticized and see that they can take scrutiny in the public square. So uh, there was a time when Meet the Press was the only real uh, show on, on, on Sunday morning that, that really probed these issues. Some right. people used to call it the Russert primary. In other words, if a presidential candidate could make it out of the Russert primary alive then he's ready for New Hampshire, well, uh, they didn't call it the Buckley primary, but there was. I mean, every presidential candidate wanted to go on because of Buckley's uh, viewership and Buckley's capacity to debate, and if they could get through that, they were considered a heavyweight. Now, only one presidential candidate absolutely refused to go on the show, and that was Buckley. And Buckley candidate, a public telegram uh, that probably did more damage than any any debating uh, uh, point might have. The telegram was one liner, and it said, "Why does the baloney reject the grinder?" <laughs> 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 so that was short enough To put on a bumper sticker Or hold up at the Kennedy rallies To rile him a little bit But that's the one that didn't go on They all thought they had to go on They fought to get on
2: And one, so, one uh, person who did go on Was, and even yeah. before Even before he was in elected office Was Ronald Reagan
3: Oh yes, Reagan was on Several times In fact uh, The cover photographs that, that that shows uh, Buckley and Reagan. I think Reagan has been governor of the state of California for the, for all three months when he was on. It was '67, and it was the first season
2: of firing line. And in fact, I think he he called Reagan governor before he was governor, and yes. um, and so and I think he was writing to him before he was president and oh, kind yeah. of making making reference to that, um, but. In addition, you know, Reagan clearly benefited, I think, from the exposure on on um, frontline. But there was there was recently a movie that was released, um, Best of Enemies, uh-huh, yeah. And I don't, right. what was I don't know what you thought of the, it? Was a documentary of that period, yes. And um, you know, in his you know, famous clashes with Gore Vidal, in the mm-hmm. at the nineteen sixty eight Democratic and Republican conventions. And um, I saw one article that actually said that that was the beginning of the uh, decline of our kind of public discourse. Mm -hmm. That that's when um, brash um, kind of combat debate took over rather than more genteel reason debate.
3: Right. Well, first of all, I recommend that film, Best of Enemies, to anyone interested in the era. Uh, both Buckley and Vidal uh, uh, should be studied and both, uh, I hope, uh, will be read for a long time. Uh, but I would say I don't, I don't agree with that conclusion for a couple of reasons. Um, that outburst was not calculated. Uh, that's the only time Buckley lost his temper in public and would never do so again. He received a lot of fan mail from people saying, well, I'm finally glad you put that fellow in his place. And He would write them back saying, you know, uh, there's nothing to be proud of in losing your temper in public. And, uh, he never talked about it again. Uh, and we never saw that kind of, uh, let's say smash mouth in civil on TV, at least from him. Uh, I think when crossfire came on and other things and, and things you see on cable, these are almost, um, planned food fights. Right. Uh, so what created the Buckley outburst? Well, people forget this too. um, World War II was only over for 22 years or so. It wasn't that long ago. So 20, 25 years ago, we're back in the Clinton administration. So you see, it's not that far back. Right. Okay. So in 1968, uh, a number of Holocaust survivors were uh, making their way in mid-careers in the United States. Some were elderly, but... Uh, we didn't quite talk about it as much. It wasn't until there was a miniseries in the 1970s called right. uh, Holocaust with uh, uh, Joan Fontaine and some others. Uh, can you hear me?
2: Yes. Can you hear me?
3: Hello? Yeah, okay. Yes, I can hear you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not till then. Okay. Not till that series, the word even used to mean all those atrocities. Well, these people are listening to the set and they hear a known playwright and author and uh, we're at the screenplay for Ben-Hur, which is also a bit of a, the movie Ben-Hur, and a bit of a bon vivant. Uh, announces William Buckley Jr. his rival here is a uh, crypto-Nazi. Uh, he's not even a Nazi. doesn't wear a uniform, but he's burrowing in the, uh, the world of communications to push Hitlerianism. That's what he kind of said to him. And uh, in 1968, that was perceived as a career ender. Uh, Buckley had been called and many conservatives had been called fascist and worse. Uh, Goldwater certainly was and he ran for president. Uh, and, uh, and, and and in Buckley's life he had sued other people for that and and gotten a retraction uh, from them. Uh, and uh, so the Vidal was like a, one of a long line but this had been coming for some time if you're watching the debates. They were baiting each other. They did not like each other and uh, that's very sad, but when he, he lit that match, knowing Buckley's, um, uh, record of having been called that by others and litigated, uh, and won some of those litigations, uh, Buckley just exploded. And, uh, he, uh, very much regretted that. Uh, and he said some things he shouldn't have in the context of the times. Uh, but I would say the slur that he used, um, uh, gay rights had not come into its own yet. Garver Dahl never acknowledged that he was gay. He wrote about gay things, which he said was autobiographical. And many people on the left, including some folk singers, anti-war demonstrators, uh, said many things that we in our our ears would take now as homophobic and sexist and many things like that. That's not to excuse anything that happened on the set, but uh, I, I, so I would say Buckley was ashamed of that outburst never happened again and while we did see a lot more food fights on television we never ever saw it from him. so uh, that's that's where I, I part company but I recommend that film uh, wholeheartedly it captures the era uh, exceptionally well
2: I saw the trailer it really seemed to have a, a lot of spice to it and um, certainly okay. and, and then was yeah, it was 1968 when the whole world just seemed to be on fire yeah. and um, so yes, that's it, correct Definitely worth reviewing. Now, Buckley, as we mentioned, had was an early Reagan supporter, and in oh, nineteen eighty yeah. Reagan wins, and and some people yeah. saw Reagan's um, election as, in some ways, the culmination of the kind of almost to go French on you, you know, the raison d'être of of why yeah. the National Review was founded. Um, that yes. this this was really what the what Buckley had set out to do all along. Yes.
3: Uh, you can't get more mainstream and more establishment than the president of the United States. He had a role in creating that president. Uh Reagan said that no one did more to bring the Reagan presidency into fruition than William F. Buckley Jr., and that includes Ronald Reagan, said Ronald Reagan. <laughs> uh, Reagan, when he started reading National Review, Reagan's was going through a series of changes. Uh, his acting career had been finished, pretty much washed up. He uh, managed to land a job as a, um, a promoter for General Electric products. It sent him along around the country. Prom- Progress is our business was their motto. And he hosted something called General Electric Theater, which uh, was on right opposite Ed Sullivan. And he had these morality tales and homilies at the end of each of these skits. And they were but a half hour, an hour dramatic presentation. Uh, he was reading National Review all through those days, and he knew Buckley from that. More than Buckley knew Reagan as an actor. I mean, Buckley did not spend his Saturday afternoons as a child watching Reagan's B-movies, uh, Bedtime for Bonzo and all the rest. He was other things going on. But <laughs> yeah. Reagan was reading Buckley. Yeah, go ahead, sir.
2: No, I was going to say, you never know. Don't let me... <laughs> You never know. <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, so as the Bible says, nothing new under the sun. So Buckley was asked to address a, uh, anti Medicare, what we could now call Medicare rally in Los Angeles <coughs> at a public high school at night. And, um, he's having dinner with his wife. Buckley is, and the Reagans uh, are leaving and they stop at Buckley's table. And Reagan says, uh, Excuse me, Mr. Buckley. Uh, I'm Ronald Reagan, and I'm introducing you tonight. Oh, pleased to meet you. You know, meet my family, meet, blah, 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 blah. And he says, Well, before I leave you alone, I just want to tell you, I just finished reading your Up From Liberalism book, and I loved your presentation on Eleanor Roosevelt. And out he goes. And, you know, Buckley is just literally mesmerized. I mean, uh, this is no. Hollywood actor, as I've been led to think about them, he thought. This is no airhead actor. This guy, prepared, disciplined, he re- reads, uh, and uh, he said he read, uh, he was my best, you know, so he's thinking all this to himself. <laughs> and then um, a, a series of things happened in the book. A friendship begins, uh, both with Reagan and uh, Buckley and between Nancy Reagan and uh, Buckley. And by the time Reagan becomes president, uh, Buckley does cross a tender line here between analysts uh, and political consultants under the uh, behind the behind the uh, scenes. Uh, wherever Reagan gets into trouble, uh, particularly with a public relations group, or so, uh, Buckley is a one-man fire department. Uh, he's sending him speeches. He's recommending people to the administration. Uh, the people who wrote Reagan's most memorable speeches were all people Bell recommended. Uh, uh, Had a hand in the Evil Empire speech and the Ash Heap of of History speech, uh, which are two in which he denounced uh, Soviet tyranny. And uh, uh, Peter Robinson, who's now at the Hoover Institution,
2: uh, wrote the
3: context and the line, Tear Down This Wall. So, I mean, uh, without, without Buckley's influence, um, you know, the Reagan star would be a little less bright. Uh, they called each other constantly. And uh, Christopher Buckley said that, you know, while well, his father was, you know, obviously an actor and actors are supposed to be extroverts, he didn't have that many close personal friends. Uh, Buckley was the only significant male friend he had. And uh, George Will Said that that he had one best friend in his life, and he married her. <laughs> <It was Ronald laughs> Nancy, but in terms of uh you know male guy, guys who lay his hair, you know, lay his hair down with, it was Bill. And, um, they talked about raising their children. They talked about uh, uh, other dreams that they had in and outside of politics. Uh, they went on vacations together. Uh, well, and I can't understate, overstate the role Nancy Reagan played in, in facilitating all of that.
2: Go ahead. Um, well, I was just going to say that uh, Reagan might say to me, um, there you go again, because um, we just have to take a, a short break. Um, but we come back, we'll be wrapping okay. up right. with, um, with with Alvin Felsenberg okay. and uh, a man in his presence. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business
1: Report after this brief recess for our sponsors.
4: WebmasterRadio.fm The
1: best gavel to gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on Webmaster Radio.fm.
2: Okay, and we're back and we're talking with Alvin Felsenberg on um, Man Presidents, the political odyssey of William F. Buckley, um, Yale Books. And um, it's been an interesting discussion. Now, the, the, the state of the. Uh, his movement after Buckley, yeah, is is an is an interesting right. topic, and you know, one we probably don't have too much time to explore. But you know, Buckley, he, before his death, I mean, and a decade before his candidacy, was quite blunt about <laughs> the the current president, calling him a narcissist yes. and um, yeah. and really in the kind of the the worst the, the antithesis of really what national review have been trying to build you know, what is it yeah. what what does the this the the progression from reagan to trump say about the movement
3: well the movement is um praying let's put it that way uh, after the passage of time and passage of great leaders up the the um remains and uh some buckley uh, supporters are actively supporting uh, Trump. Uh, uh, some who are in CPAC, uh, a group which is a group that uh, allows presidential candidates and other conservatives uh, a voice, and their, their leadership seems to be very pro administration. Uh, others, uh, national Review, uh, most of the, the the staff and George Will uh, take a different view of the administration. Um, they support certain policies of it, uh, but not uh, its style necessarily. And, uh, and of course, Bill Crystal, who uh, Buckley influenced greatly, is, is leading the anti-Trump factions or whatever there are. Uh, I would say it's very hard to say what someone who's no longer with us would be saying now. And He did, right. he did say Trump was a narcissist. He did say he was a narcissist. He worried about the cult of personality. Uh, which you saw happen everywhere he uh although he once said that he would rather be governed by the uh first uh a thousand names in the in the boston phone book than by the first 100 names in the harvard faculty directory uh he was very skeptical of uh, populism and very skeptical of unchecked democracy And what he meant by that was the mob what he meant right. by that was appealing to the base instincts of the public uh, he was and not a
2: great that's what bothered him about wallace too
3: World War II. very much yeah the guttural uh, of wallace the appealing to baser instincts wallace used to say that the people uh, lay down in front of his car to protest they'd never walk again uh, he'd hit the gas pedal the crowd went nuts sort of thing did not like that it reminded him of the mobs in europe and uh so I guess what he would say, it's hard to say that, but I will. I'll venture it. Um, if there are things that we have fought for all of our lives, like tax cuts, uh, by all means, we should support those kinds of things because we think that's good policy. On the other hand, uh, the most important thing we have are uh, the things I started this interview with, uh, constitutional government constraining authority, uh, checking runaway presidents uh, checking, uh, uh, commitment of troops without, uh, debate, without authorization of Congress, uh, elevating public debate and above all constitutional rule. And, uh, uh, I guess he'd be on one track vote for the things that we believed in. If it's being proposed on the other hand, uh, we're not giving up these guarantees for convenience, Uh, conservatives can abuse power just like liberals are. Then we have the whole other debate on whether uh, whether and on what issues uh, the current administration would be um, conservative. Uh, All Buckley's life, he was a free trader, for instance. He was an early promoter of NAFTA. In fact, he lost many donors uh, 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 who were on the right and were protectionists when he embraced NAFTA under Bill Clinton's time. And he lost many other Republicans and conservatives when he broke with George Bush on Iraq. Uh, His view on Iraq was, uh, I believe in saving the American people. And if you believe that, on good information, that Saddam was building a nuclear bomb and was prepared to use it, you had every right to go in. But uh, I draw the line at this nation building. Uh, What are we doing here seven years after we said we had won this war? And and, uh, uh, no, no. Uh, uh, they are doing what they would be doing if we left, which is basically engaging in their own civil and religious war. Right. And uh, we shouldn't now, be doing this all around the world. So in other words, without the Soviet... We only have...
2: I, I have to cut, to I'm afraid I have to death, cut you but, off. We're yeah. running, out of t- running out of time. Um, you're speaking on Saturday, November 18th, at um, the uh, Miami Book Fair on the panel on American presidents. It's in room 8203. Uh, are there any other... Um, appearances you want to uh, plug before we 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 run out of time
3: well for those in california i'm going to be at the nixon library on the 6th of uh of uh december uh i'm uh, doing a a few uh things uh, in new york between uh, then and now but uh i would say that my california planning my california trip and uh we hope to do the reagan library at some point too uh that would be great be of the miami book festival
2: great and if you do come to California, very I look forward, look forward. Look forward to meeting you. Um, but um, that's all we have for now. I'm a, um thank you very much for joining. Alvin Felsenberg, A Man in His presidents, The Political Odyssey of William F. Buckley. Be sure to catch him at the Miami Book Fair um, panel on American Presidents. And this is Bennett Kelly. Um, thank you for joining us. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Cyberlaw Business Report. For information on today's show, check out our show notes at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. Have a good week. Thank you.
4: The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm
5: is prohibited. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone.